Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. It was not a showdown, but rather an exercise in placing markers. The Russia-U.S. talks in Geneva settled basically nothing. However, the Biden administration can no longer say it does not understand Russia's position on pan-European security. The ball is in Washington's court. To discuss these issues and more, I'm joined by my guest, Glenn Diesen in Oslo. He is a professor at the University of Southeastern Norway, as well as author of the book, Great Power Politics in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And in Budapest, we have George Samueli. He is a podcaster at The Gaggle, which can be found on YouTube and locals. All right, gentlemen, crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump in anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. Okay, let's go to Glenn first. Um, Glenn, you know, we, we've had about two weeks of meetings, a different um, formats, um, essentially on the same topic, at least from the Russian perspective, and trying to get um, NATO um, on the same page to talk about pan-European security. I, I, I watched the, the pressers, Lavrov and, and Blinken. Blinken has moved a, a little bit in the right direction, but not very far, in my opinion. Like, as I said in my introduction, basically nothing has been done. But I think it's also fair to say that Washington can't say it doesn't know what Putin wants, as they love to say. Your assessment, go ahead. No, I agree. And I think uh, the way the meeting began kind of demonstrated uh, uh, well how far apart they were and not even discussing the same theme. Because when uh, Moscow met with Washington, they, the, the main discussion, well, the Americans came prepared to speak about Ukraine. Uh, and effectively, for, for the Russians, they said, no, well, Ukraine is a symptom of a broader problem we've had for the past 30 years, which is there is no pan-European security uh, system and there are no pan-European security agreements anymore that works. So, so they want to highlight this principle that, well, this uh, main, main tension, which is, you know, we have two different principles in Europe. Uh, the Russians are saying the foundations of pan-European security has to be one side does not expand its security at the expense of the other, so indivisible security. And the Americans say, no, no, European security is based on the right of NATO to expand. And, uh, you know, if Russia infringes on this, then this is an attack on, you know, democracy and freedom and, you know, this, this is the, the, the usual slogans. So, so, so this is kind of where, where, where they started off and it took a while to even move away from simply talking about Russian troops on Russian soil in, in <laughs> you know, near, uh, in the proximity of Ukrainian borders to actually discuss European security uh, agreements. And uh, again, the, I, I, it hasn't been successful because there are no, there has no, been no interest in making any compromises or, you know, attempting to meet anywhere in the middle, or you know, at least they're starting to have some understanding of what bothers Russia. But again, so far the Americans have limited the response to stating, to looking for ways of punishing Russia and forcing it to do as they're told effectively. And uh, this is why the last meeting between Lavrov and Blinken was a little bit awkward because you know Blinken obviously came prepared to say, here we are, we're United West, we're not gonna give you anything. Now you do as, we're t as you're told, otherwise, you know, we're gonna have all this sanction, all this punishment. However, uh, he showed up with uh, realizing that uh, the continental Europeans at least are not with him on this one. The British might be, but, uh, but the Europeans are not. And so he, he didn't really have that much to, to present. And this is why uh, they don't know what to do now, because again, this was the whole approach of the unipolar era. We could ignore Russia because uh, all the power was in the West. But now, of course, the problem is Russia is not afraid of any sanctions anymore. It diversified. 
It has the military advantage along its own borders. Uh, it's effectively saying, listen, we have security uh, concerns. If those are not respected, we have to act on them. Let's have proper agreements where both securities are uh, taken into account. And, you know, slow, steady but slowly, Blinken's kind of realizing uh, yeah. they, they can't dictate what, what the outcome will be here. So they have to find some uh, compromise. And this is a very painful position the Americans are in because they've been able to uh, you know, simply dictate and demand unilateral concessions for 30 years. And, you know, it's coming to an end. So it doesn't surprise me that this is a difficult pill to swallow for Washington. Yeah, uh, George, I'm calling this program um, Blinken's Cosplay, because that's exactly what it was. Um, yeah, I want to reiterate a point that, that Glenn made, because I think it's very important for our audience because of the uh, very distorted narrative that's going on right now. Uh, Russia wants to have good relations with its neighbor, Ukraine. It doesn't want it to be a hostile country. And most importantly, it doesn't want NATO in Ukraine. It's not about Ukraine. It's all about NATO expansion. And it is so irritating, it makes us all pull our hair out, is that the, the, this very stilted narrative that is being uh, presented to publics around the world. Go ahead, George. That, that's exactly right. And um, that's why... It's hard to see whether any real uh, compromise is possible. So um, over the weekend, we had the United UK uh, Foreign Office issue this extraordinary statement saying that um, they've uncovered a plot to over on the part of the Russians to overthrow the government in Kiev and to put in uh, their people in place. And you know, you know that's that's it. And then the 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 Americans immediately said, "Yeah, yeah, we agree. That's our finding too." So, you know, they they are now not only insisting that it's all about Ukraine, not about uh, you know, the, you, uh, Russian security concerns about uh, building a, a security architecture in Europe. It is all about Ukraine, and that at any moment. Uh, Russia will invade or, uh, you know, put in, you know, organize a coup and install some obscure person uh, in charge in uh, Kiev. So, and, and that even last week, we had the, uh, the day before uh, Blinken's uh, meeting with Lavrov, the State Department issued these two extraordinarily vituperative statements about uh, Russian lies and disinformation. So, this is really the problem that the, as far as the Western, and by Western really, I mean the US and the UK uh, ministers are concerned that it is all about uh, Russia trying to uh, invade, uh, threaten, uh, take over uh, Ukraine. And it's they pretend not to understand what uh, Russia is talking about. And, and I think it's, uh, it, it does come to a very dangerous uh, situation because uh, now I think we're, we're heading towards possibly a crisis during the, uh, the Beijing Olympics if uh, the uh, government in Kiev tries to stage some kind of a provocative incident and which might uh, trigger a Russian intervention. Um, that, that, I mean, Russians obviously say, Russians obviously do not want anything like that, but it's, it's, it's a possibility. And given the way the, the, uh, the British and the Americans have presented it, they'll say, oh, well, that's it. That's what we were saying. You know, Ru Russia is just in the business of uh, invading Ukraine. 
You know, Glenn, I'm, I'm glad that George brought up those two State Department reports on disinformation and uh, misinformation, whatever it was, um, because it seems to me that the U.S. State Department is actually trying to corral NATO members because they see that it's fraying, okay? We, we had, um, uh, last week, we had uh, the U.K. Uh, sending weapons to Ukraine, and they avoided German airspace because the Germans don't want to send, they think this is provocative here. And then we have we have President Macron, head of the, pres uh, the rotating EU presidency, and you know he's come out with you know uh, uh, statements about um, uh, <clears throat> respecting security of all countries and very nervous about provocations. It seems to me that State Department is is trying to is spending actually more time trying to keep NATO in line than it is actually um, and having a dialogue with Russia because if that's a dialogue, that's a dialogue of the deaf and dumb, Len. Yeah, well, that was the, the arguments coming out of Britain as well, that uh, well, when they were making the arguments that we shouldn't, you know, buy into the Russian narrative, he, they were specifically referring to the Europeans, that uh, they, they are starting to repeat the Russian propaganda. But, but again, propaganda is a very misused word in all of this. I mean, with propaganda, you have the intentional framing of any conflict. And a very common technique, for example, is to use very simple binary framing. And this is what NATO propaganda is, which is suggesting the only solutions to this is either we have NATO expansion or we have a Russian sphere of influence in Ukraine. And this, and you know, so we have to choose. These are the two. This is how propagandists work, and and this is and it's so ridiculous, which is why uh, a lot of these discussions have been uh, very dishonest because they're mostly comprised of slogans aimed towards an uninformed public rather than making any common sense. I mean, surely there are a third option here. Uh, Russia's not. Have, not, doesn't have the capabilities or intentions to ex have some ex exclu exclusive influence in Ukraine. Uh, but, but these are the only options, either military alliance towards Russian borders or Russia takes over Ukraine. Uh, surely the whole point of security agreements is to find these middle points, for example, a neutral Ukraine, which Russia's always been happy with. But again, it's this very dishonest statement, same as um, you know, the Secretary General of NATO, uh, Stoltenberg, he was saying Russia doesn't have any legitimate reasons to be afraid of NATO because we're a defensive alliance. I mean, really, uh, still... Uh, I remember already in 1999, Henry Kissinger was saying, well, we can't say that NATO is defensive anymore to the Russians now that we're bombing the Serbs and also later going after the Libyans. I mean, this you can try to justify these wars in any way you want, these illegal, war, but, illegal wars, by the way, but they're not defensive. Uh, so so to call it a defensive alliance, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Also, um, also the... Only recently, the senior official to the Obama administration, Farkas, I think her name is, argued that Russia, uh, that U.S. should actually go to war against Russia, not just over Ukraine, but you know, take back Crimea, push Russia out of South Ossetia. Uh, so you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that Russia, NATO in the future can be no threat to Russia, and at the same time argue that uh, um, <laughs> argue that we should use force against them. Also, this idea that Russia should have no veto. This is also. You know, we yeah. say it over and over again as if it makes any sense. I mean, if NATO's going to monopolize on security in, in uh, Europe that, and the biggest country in Europe should not have any say over it, I mean, this is an absurd statement. Obviously, Russia will have a veto. Either it has it within institutions or it will have to rely on its own, on its military, in order to uphold that veto, which is now expressed as a red line. So nothing makes any sense. And the, just the last one is NATO Secretary General explicitly saying NATO does not discriminate against new and old members. Well, this was the whole point of the NATO-Russia Founding Act of 1997, this very explicit promise committed not to putting NATO permanent troops in Eastern Europe. And now they're saying, no, no, this goes against our principle. 
Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't sign an agreement, you know, on pan-European security, won't put troops there and then say, no, well, this goes against our principles, so we can't follow our, our, the agreements we signed under. So it's very, it's very strange discussions. And, and uh, so I think it's good to get, for Russia to get some of this out in, in the front because this, it, it, to me, it doesn't make any, in any sense at all. You know, George, you, know, you and I have often reflected that, you know, essentially NATO is just a propaganda machine, okay? Because that, that's what it, it invests a lot of money in. And, and as Glenn has rightly pointed out, it, it, it just creates all these false binaries, okay? And um, it, 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 in my mind, that's intentional because they have no intention of recognizing Russia's um, national security interests. 20 seconds before we go to the break, George, go ahead. Yes, no, as uh, Glenn pointed out, I mean, it's... It, they are uh, expansionist, and so, which means that, that by definition, they are not defensive. I mean, defensive means you stay in place and defend what you have. Uh, they have been expanding, and they insist on their right to uh, continue to expand. And, uh, and when uh, they, it says quite explicitly in that 1997 agreement, which is no permanent uh, forces uh, stationed uh, in, the, in the former uh, countries of the Warsaw Pact, and then when the Russians point this out to them, hey, we, you know, we have an unconditional right to do whatever we want. Right, <laughs> so, right. Hold that thought, George. We're going to go to a break, and after that short break, we'll continue our discussion on some real news. Stay with us. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. This is the home edition. To remind you, we're discussing real news. Okay, let's return to George here. George, I want to talk about the presser, and it wasn't jointly held, okay, in Geneva, which, you know, says something. And I thought it was very interesting that, um, um, you know, the, Russia says that um, the U.S. will respond to Russia's written proposals next week. That's how the, the Russians interpret it. And here, okay, Lavrov and Blinken, they were heading two different delegations. And it was shortly after they were talking, but Blinken, he told the press uh, corps something very different. Um, is it bad memory or just will, willful um, not understanding? He said, the U.S. Uh, ho hoped to share its concerns and ideas in more detail in writing next week. Those are two very different things. These two men just had spoken to each other. And it, it doesn't say any kind of explicit reaction to two written documents that the Russians proposed to the United States and to NATO separately. And before, as I end my question here, George, again, we have out of Washington saying that they want to have this as secret diplomacy. Russia is uh, uh, committed uh, in this process to public diplomacy. Thoughts? Yes. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point. Um, I do not think that the Americans are going to respond uh, to the uh, Russian documents. I think that uh, to the extent that they will uh, present a written uh, response, I think it will be a familiar litany of complaints about the Russians. Oh, the, you know, Crimea, uh, the, the Donbass, the Skripals, Navalny. Uh, interfering in our elections, Brexit, and whatever. It, it's just going to be the usual uh, uh, complaints. I do not think that they, they intend to address any of these issues because they don't acknowledge the legitimacy of these issues. And that is why the, the situation is dangerous, because I think the Russians will feel that the only way 
um, our concerns will be addressed and that the seriousness with which we're uh, coming to this will be addressed is if, you know, in the event of some kind of military action, because uh, otherwise they're just going to keep talking about, you know, pointless things like, well, arms control, uh, transparency, uh, you know, mutual confidence building measures with, you know, military exercises, stuff that they've been talking about for decades. But this isn't really what the, uh, the Russians are after. And, and really, one has to say that the framework of, of some kind of an, a security agreement shouldn't be that hard to find, yeah. which is no NATO expansion. In return, Russia also commits not to bring in any states into the uh, collective security treaty organization. I say, OK, so look, if everyone else, neutrality. And there's nothing wrong with neutrality. No one's interfering in, in your uh, domestic affairs. It just means that you're not uh, joining any uh, military alliance. I mean, we used to have during the Cold War the non-aligned movement, a gigantic movement of, of states that were very happy simply to say, we are not part of uh, this military alliance, we're not part of that military alliance. And so there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, NATO is simply absolutely refusing to acknowledge this. And I think that that's kind of why we've got ourselves into this mess because NATO has just gone on expanding and sooner or later, Russia was going to say enough already and we're gonna, we're gonna do something about this. You know, Glenn, again, I wanna go back to something I said in the first part of the program here is that there's, there seems to be, we hear this mantra from Stoltenberg, we're just, a, NATO is just a defensive alliance. And we say it over and over and over again as if it's on speed dial or something. But if you look what's coming out of European capitals, like, you know, going to the nuclear option, you know, throwing Russia out of the Swiss system, you know, that's easy for somebody in Washington in, an, in a, a think tank suburb, you know, with air conditioning. But, you know, the Germans are going to say, well, how are we going to, how is Russia going to sell us uh, uh, energy? I mean, Europe, European Union countries, you know, they import thir a third of their energy from Russia and it's only going to grow. I mean, throw them out of the Swiss system, then how do you pay? I mean, is anybody in Washington thinking like this? Because it seems that, you know, as George and you both pointed out on this program here, is that even as so-called negotiations are going on, uh, U.S. senators are showing up and Kim saying, sanction, sanction, sanction. I mean, do they understand the gravity of all of this? Because it seems to me that NATO is desperate. If it can't get its way every single time, then it's kind of a broken system and no one will take it seriously. And I think they're very worried about that. Go ahead, Glenn. Well, that is the purpose of NATO. I mean, when during the Cold War, NATO was uh, seen as a necessity to balance the Soviet Union. After the Cold War, the purpose of NATO was collective hegemony. So you join it and, uh, you know, we, we, we unilaterally make the decisions. Now, obviously, um, uh, the, the, the main problem they're having now is, uh, uh, you know, well, first of all, keeping this grouping together because um, America kind of suggesting, you know, we're willing to fight the Russians down to the last European. And, you know, it does, obviously the Europeans uh, are, are getting some, some cold feet here because uh, just yeah, quickly a little bit back at what, um, uh, what, what George said as well, that a, a lot of what has been able to keep the cohesion between NATO is strategic ambiguity. I mean, already in the 90s, uh, you know, the Americans could go to the French and Germans saying, listen, NATO, we're just going to have NATO as a democratic club, you know, values, it's not anti-Russian. And then they have to go to the polls going, yeah, of course, we're here to balance the Russians. And, you know, so you, you can't be too explicit because these are all contradictory positions. So this is the strategic ambiguity. You don't uh, and this is why the Russians want to go from this very ambiguous to the specific. And uh, and, and that's why also 
they, they, they don't want to go down this route either. But, uh, but, but the same as this threat to, to NATO, obviously, you know, the, the possibility of, of NATO war against Russia is a possibility, but it doesn't have to be either or. Uh, countries pursue what's called escalation dominance, which means if uh, the U.S. dominates on along Russian borders, they can essentially dictate everything to the Russians, and knowing that the Americans can bring tensions up or down at will, and there's nothing Russia can do, under those conditions, Russia would always have to capitulate. And this is, again, the this is what uh, collective hegemon is after. So, so to say that NATO can't be a threat, I mean, it's just, again, they can repeat this until it sounds like it makes sense, but it doesn't. And yeah, just lastly on this cutting Russia from SWIFT and, you know, this full-out economic war against, uh, against, uh, against uh, Russia, obviously this is going to hit back on the Europeans very hard. I mean, Russia spent at least the past eight years making its economy sanctions proof. And it's getting very close to having it fully proof. I mean, they, they have diversified their economy, their financial instruments. And uh, if, if they would cut Russia off swift, then obviously this will bring a lot of pain to European economies. Um, but also the question then becomes, for example, for the Germans, how would we actually buy gas from the Russians? Maybe some mechanisms can be set up, but you don't know how the Russians will react. If you declare full-out war, economic war on them, you know, they might have a counter-sanction. They might have something up their sleeve. So they don't want to go down this route. So at the moment, part of the, uh, the U.S. effort of enhancing its negotiations tactics means it's, it's actually in Qatar now talking to them. Listen, can yeah. you su supply some more LNG to the Europeans? So because if they feel more secure on the energy, then we can, you know, uh, then we can keep this anti-Russian alliance together. They will be more. They will be a bit bolder to go after Russia. So it's just uh, it's. Um, they're having a huge problem because they can't keep the solidarity together. The, the, the possibility of having the strategic ambiguity is not working. And overall, it's just uh, the whole thing seems to be melting down. I mean, at the same time, the British and Americans saying we, we, we are standing united against Russia. You have Macron saying, listen, we have to reimagine European security. We can't go on like this. And, you know, also the Germans showing some understanding for, for the Russian position. Uh, again, it's not absurd, this idea that Russia has security interests, uh, shockingly, yeah, and, and NATO can be a threat. Yeah, I mean, George, George the, 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 what makes this so bizarre for me is that from the N official NATO line is, you know, uh, Russia, uh, Russia is a, uh, a hostile, aggressive nation. But NATO's, even, even NATO's behavior and approach towards Russia engenders a, a mistrust and um, um, a hostility. I mean, they're generating it because, as, as Len just said, I mean, do you want to go down the sanction route? you want to do these, these uh, SWIFT, um, uh, pulling Russia out of the SWIFT system? Well, these are, this, this is akin to war. I mean, it's certainly economic war. I mean, Russia would be justified in reacting um, in, 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 in an equally hostile way. I mean, how, how, how does that create pan-European security? I mean, it's, it's like it's begging a conflict because there's the sense because of the, of the NATO worldview is that they are always right and only their security matters. And so why should Russia uh, care? I mean, you can have, we've had talks for 30 years that engendered nothing. I mean, there could be a, a very serious Russian reaction. Are they taking that into account? No, I, th I think that's an excellent point because, um, you know, where, everything that NATO has done is very much, uh, it, it can be seen to be a part of containment and enclosure and against Russia and an attempt to 
diminish and eliminate Russian power and influence in the world. I mean, that, that's, they, you know, they've, they've scooped up all of the uh, members of the Warsaw Pact. They've now scooped up uh, former Soviet republics. They've indicated that they have in every intention of scooping up more uh, Soviet republics. This goes together with extraordinarily belligerent rhetoric coming from uh, the Western capitals, coming from the NATO Secretary General. I mean, the way they talk about uh, Russia as, as a kind of monstrous, evil uh, place that you know we we have to uh, unite against. And so, uh, from the Russian perspective, I think it's very reasonable to say, well, what are they after? They are after. Um, Eliminating us, eliminating us as any kind of a force in the world. It's not dissimilar from what Napoleon tried to do. It's not dissimilar what, from what Hitler tried to do. That is, uh, you know, that's the situation. And we had better move now before in a decade, it could just be too late. I mean, they would have just simply go surrounded us with hostile uh, satellite states of uh, NATO. And uh, <laughs> it's hard to see, you know, how, how any any kind of leadership uh, in Russia I mean, could George, react in any other way. You, using your, your analogy there, your parallels, I mean, then it would be the breakup of Russia. That would be the next That's thing. the next step. Absolutely would be the next step. Yeah, I mean, and look, they, they tried this in the 90s. Um, and there's no question. I mean, the, if, you know, once, once uh, Russia is surrounded by these NATO satellite states, lo and behold, we're going to find all kinds of um, uh, irredentist movements uh, inside Russia. We're going to suddenly find various Islamist uh, independence movements um, among all the various, um, uh, you know, these uh, autonomous republics within the uh, Russian Federation. That would be the next step. It would be to just, you know, step by step to break Russia up. That was all, it's always been the agenda. And so, you know, how else could uh, Russia respond other than this by saying, look, we've had enough. You can either discuss this now in a, in a proper way, work out some mutually acceptable framework, or we're just going to have to take uh, steps, uh, you know, to, to ensure our security. But what you've been doing cannot go on. And just simply fobbing us off with, well, there are no immediate plans to bring Ukraine into NATO. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, okay, okay, we've run out of time here, but uh, I think we're all in agreement. Uh, talk is just talk. Okay, that's all the time we have. I want to thank my guests in Oslo and Budapest. I want to thank our viewers for watching us here at RTC. And next time, and remember, cross talk rules.